Yo, what's up, guys? It's your boy Patrick, and I'm back with another episode of the Body Shot MMA podcast. It's been a while since I've been back on the waves. It's been about two months, uh, two weeks, or something like that. Just been busy with a bunch of different things, you know how it is. So, what is there to go over? So, since the last time, since the last time I was on the waves. Oh wow, it's been nearly a month since I did my last podcast episode. I'm trying to be more consistent with this. And that was when Conor McGregor fought Don Cerrone in his return. And in the meantime, since then, we had events like Junior Dos Santos versus Curtis Blades, where he got knocked out. And John Jones versus Dominic Reyes, where the champion eked out a divi- uh, decision over the challenger Dominic Reyes. And now it looks like there's a new challenger to the light heavyweight throne with Jan Blachowicz knocking out Corey Anders in the first round. Um, I don't know if you watched that, Jan. So that was the UFC Fight Night 167 card that happened this Saturday. And the only fights that I did watch on those cards were the Diego Sanchez versus Michelle Pereira fight, as well as Jan Blachowicz versus Corey Anders too. Uh, the reason why, well, these fights weren't that interesting. They didn't really spark my interest, but you know, there's a little bit of movement in the light heavyweight division. So I had to tune in, check out what it's all about. And man, so Blahovic, obviously he looked good and he's on a pretty good, uh, streak right now. Let's see. But Jan Blahovic, I think he's on like a three fight win streak right now. And he's knocked out Luke Rockhold and some, let's see. So he just knocked out Corey Anderson. When he has a decision win over uh, decision win over Souza, if I remember, it was a split decision win. Then he not and he knocked out Luke Rockhold the fight before that. Then he got knocked out by Tiago Tiago Santos, and then before that he got a submission win over Nikita Krylov, and then a decision win over Jimmy Manua. So he's two, four, five, and one in the last. Uh, in his last six, and his only loss being to Thiago Santos. Not bad, which is weird because Thiago, it's funny because Thiago Santos, he moves up and he's a big knockout artist. He knocks out people like Jan Blachowicz, but he gets knocked out by guys who are like good punchers, but not exactly knockout artists like Gegard Musasi. Interesting. Yeah, so the boy Blachowicz, he's 5-1 and one in his last six, and he's taken out quite a few contenders. Like, uh, actually, decent decent names in light heavyweight as well as middleweights moving up the light heavyweight. And so, he probably has earned his light heavyweight title shot at John Jones. But the thing is, is that I just don't think there's anything that... Like, Bohovic hasn't shown anything in his last past couple fights that would make me feel like he's a contender or he can compete against John Jones in a competitive way. Because in a lot of these fights... It was either, like, uh, the fights that I can remember offhand, like the Luke Rockhold fights, as well as the Corey Anderson fights, the most recent ones, those were just, like, a case of him, you know, he was doing good stuff in both fights, but he ended up knocking out both of them. Uh, Luke Rockhold, he knocked out when he was, uh, it was a sneaker punch, it was a left hook right out of the clinch, which is always nice, because whenever you have somebody coming out of the clinch, when two people are breaking out of the clinch, um, it's just... It's just be it's just instincts through training that if there's not that much stuff happening in the clinch or the clinch is getting broken up, it's kind of common for a fighter to have that gap in thought where he's just like, okay, the clinch is breaking. 
Uh, I, sh I'm, I don't have to be afraid of anything. We're, we're setting the action. It's really good. It's a really good habit for fighters to try to punch out of the clinch or hit out of the clinch because usually that's when people's defenses are non-existent or that's when they drop their defenses because they think that the action is restarting. So, for example, Dan Henderson versus Shogun Rua 2. Shogun Rua was controlling most of that fight, but in the end of the it was in the third or fourth round, they were coming out of the clinch and Rua was just dropping his hands, getting ready to reset the action, but Henderson actually hit him with a right of a with a right hook slash uppercut that knocked out Rua. It's just so unexpected, and it's the best. It's one of the best times to hit some. It's one of the best times to actually hit somebody, because they're not going to be expecting a hit to come. So he he was looking good, but in in that fight, I remember Luke Rockhold wasn't able to get anything really going in that fight, and. Bohovic looks strong because a lot of people were saying that Rockhold, you know, was a even though he won a lot of fights by knockout and submission, apparently his wrestling was like superb and he had like really, really strong wrestling. And DC talked about it, saying like real cool Luke Rockhold is one of the better wrestlers at AKA, but he didn't have he couldn't get any takedowns going against Blahovic. Then against the Yeah uh in the Blahovic versus Souza fight, I remember that fight wasn't that interesting. Uh, I don't think Souza was able to get any takedowns on Blahovic, and if he did, I can't remember him doing anything with the takedowns, because usually when Souza does get the takedown, it's uh, pretty much a sealed deal, because he's such a uh, smothering top player. Now, a lot of people have trouble creating space from underneath him, and Souza's really good at snatching like arm triangles and Kimuras from the top. And I remember... Um, Bohovic was kind of doing that one strike at a time because maybe he was scared of getting countered by Souza, but it wasn't that great of a performance. Now this Corey Anderson fight that he just had, it was uh, decent enough. Uh, Corey Anderson came out and was trying to do that thing. Well, this is the what 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 all wrestlers should be doing. People who have decent wrestling should be trying to should be trying to mix up their wrestling with their boxing or kickboxing because at the highest level you know even if you're an NCAA wrestler or an Olympic wrestler you know everybody has good enough takedown defense to make your day make your life really really hard so that's why you kind of see people who are like top-notch wrestlers like Chael Sonnen kind of struggle with the top of the division because all they know is how to wrestle or how to strike they're not very good at mixing it up and Corey Anderson uh, tried to start mixing it up. He was kind of shooting for half-hearted takedowns, but uh, he was shooting for half-hearted takedowns, and he was also uh, faking level changes so he could come upstairs. But the thing is that he didn't really build off of it. Like, he was showing the feints, and one thing that he was doing good was faking the jab, and it had Blahovic reaching for the jab. Uh, it had Blahovic reaching for the jab, and that's usually what people will do is that uh, the deal with a good jab is that they'll 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 stretch out their if it's orthodox versus orthodox uh, fighter will stretch out their rear hand to try to smother the opponent's jab so they can uh, start blocking the jab. But the thing is that once you're reaching out like that, it leaves you vulnerable to the left hook. So a good combination is to fake the jab or throw out a couple jabs to get your opponent to start reaching, and then once they they're committed to the reach to fake the jab and shoot a left hook around their guard because their hand's not in the way and it's an easy left hook. 
Jose Aldo was a master at this, and he caught uh, a lot of fighters. Uh, if you remember, Chad Mendes versus Jose Aldo too was a good example of this, of Jose Aldo sneaking his left hook around Chad Mendes's, uh, Chad Mendes's reaching hand because re Mendes came out in that fight with his arms stretched out, ready to block and parry all of all those straight blows, and it was the left hook that actually dropped Mendes one or two times in that fight. So Anderson comes out looking for that. He's she he's faking the he's faking the jab, and another thing is that uh, if you can also fake in uh, fake the level changes with the uh, if you can also fake in the level changes, this is also really good because. Level changes the natural reaction for the opponents to start dropping their hands so they can start, you know, digging for underhooks. And one of the most famous knockouts in heavyweight history is Kevin Randleman versus Marco Krokop because what Kevin Randleman did is that he shot for takedowns, Krokop would uh, defend them, get his underhooks, and pull Randleman up. And then what Randleman ended up doing was that he would fake the shot, well, Krokop's hands would drop, and he came up with the left hook. And it caught Krokop clean and knocked him out. So those are, you know, the, the jab, the left hook, and the level change. Those are three techniques that chain really well into each other. Because if the opponent doesn't respect the... If the opponent doesn't... Because uh, you could get the opponent reaching for... You could get the opponent reaching with the jab, the fake jab, and the fake level changes to open up the left hook. And if the opponent starts decides that screw it, I'm just gonna keep my hand pinned to my face to deal with the left hook. The that usually that means two things. That means that their hand isn't coming out to parry the jab, or their hand isn't their hand is near their face, so it takes more time for them to drop their weight and get their hands to start fighting for underhooks. So takedowns come easier. Anyways. Corey Anderson was faking the jab, and he had Blahovic reaching really, really far with the right hand, but never committed to a left hook. And most of it was Corey Anderson coming forward and Blahovic circling the cage. And then eventually what ended up happening is that Corey Anderson went for a naked low kick. He went for a low kick without any setup because it looked like he was just running out of ideas because he wasn't catching Blahovic with any punches. And... Every time he did step in to commit, Blahovic would hit him with a counter left hook and be free to circle off in the cage. So Corey Anderson was just falling, awkwardly following Blahovic, fainting uh, the jab and takedowns. But not the thing is that feints only work is if you have the opponent convinced that you're actually going to hit them. So what's going to get them to start? If you're if you're fainting ten jabs and you never throw a real one, your opponent in their head will say, "Oh, okay, this guy's just fainting jabs. I don't have like I'm not worried about actually getting hit by a jab." So even if you do faint, as long as they get over that mental barrier of you not actually hitting them, they can step in and commit with their own power punches. And that's what happened here. Anderson was fainting but never actually committing to any of his own shots. And every time he did commit, he would just he would come in with like one single strike at a time and Blahovic would just catch him with a left hook, pivot out, and Anderson was back to chasing. And eventually, 
She throws a right low kick that's naked with no setup. Bohovic throws a right hand, catches Corey Anderson right on the butt and knocks him out. He falls to the ground. He's basically knocked out already. But Bohovic stands over him, thinks for a split second, and throws down a hammer fist just to seal the deal with this fight. Ends the fight there. Blahovich now is the people are calling for Blahovich to get his title shot, and now there's a big debate with the MMA community whether or not Reyes should fight John Jones or Blahovich should fight John Jones, because those are the two clear contenders. Because if you didn't watch the John Jones fight, there's a lot of controversy between Reyes and John Jones because a lot of people felt like Reyes won the first three rounds of their fight, but he ended up losing the unanimous decision. So a lot of people wanted to see an immediate rematch. Reyes wanted to see an immediate rematch. But now Blahovic is in the title picture. And the thing is, is that Blahovic, he's an awkward, he's a strong grappler. Like he has really strong takedown defense. And when he takes people down, I know he can work. Uh, he has like pretty strong, he's a black belt uh, in jiu-jitsu. So I know he has really strong grappling. The thing is that he mostly leads with his hands. And he usually... He likes to fight on the counter with his hands, and he also likes to throw single shots. The thing is, although he does have knockout power, the type of fighters that give John Jones trouble are usually the guys that can kick very well, who move very well laterally, who can circle the cage very well, uh, who, again, are able to kick leg kicks, body kicks, head kicks, and people that can fight in combination. Um, Alexander Gustafson in the very first fight with John Jones, it was his lateral movement that had John Jones missing all of his straight kicks and front kicks and kicks to the knees, as well as him uh, boxing in combination with his jab that gave John Jones trouble. Against Thiago Santos, John Jones basically got into a kicking match with Thiago Santos. If you remember that fight, it was basically just them kicking each other's legs and body. And he almost lost that fight. And then with Dominic Reyes, it was a little. It was a combination of the uh, kicks, as well as the lateral movement that helped out Reyes in that fight and put John Jones in trouble. Blahovich very rarely kicks, and usually relies on his counter swings to drop his opponents. The thing is, is that. If you're on the outside of John Jones' range and you're looking for counter uh, counter punches, John Jones is going to chop you up with his leg kicks from outside, outside of boxing range because obviously your legs are way longer than your than your uh, your arms and your punches, and kicking an opponent who's on the outside of your ring, who's on so kicking an opponent is the preferred method there. He can just kick the shit out of Blahovich with front kicks to the body. Round kicks to the body, low kicks, and straight kicks to the knee. And it'll be up to Blahovich to step in and counter. And try to counter John Jones. But John Jones is so good at, you know, every time his opponents try to flurry him or come off, uh, come after him after his kicks, he's so good at just backing up into the cage and avoiding any punishment. Whereas Reyes showed that he has really good lateral movement that, you know, undid... John Jones's favorite kick, which is the low inside, the oblique kicks and the side kicks to the knee, because those travel on a straight line. If you're moving laterally, you're basically sidestepping those kicks. Reyes also was pretty, uh, you know, he was 
he wasn't scared to kick with John Jones, and he was kicking out John Jones' legs, and he was kicking out John Jones's bot, uh, kicking John Jones to the body, sometimes to the head, and he had John Jones giving up that reach advantage by coming toward Reyes, and Reyes was the one fighting on the outside doing the counter kick, counter kicking. That's essentially the type of fight that you need to play against John Jones and to have a chance. But Jan Blachowicz hasn't really shown me anything like that in his previous fights. So in my personal opinion, I'd rather have the Reyes rematch than the Blachowicz fight. If you ask me, get Blachowicz to fight Thiago Santos later this year, have a rematch with Santos. And whoever wins that fight should get the rematch with uh, John Jones, in my personal opinion. That'd be pretty awesome. Blahovic is also pretty good at give uh, rematches. You know, Jimmy Manua and Corey Anderson both beat him by decision. And he came back and ended up knocking out Anderson and beating uh, Manua in a decision fight. So I think he, he's, he's, a pretty, he's a pretty smart lad. He'll be able to, you know... I bet he, if he has a rematch with Thiago Santos, he would probably be able to figure out a game plan to fight, to be Santos, and then we can take it from there. Um, the other fight on the card, we'll see, was Michelle Pereira versus Diego Sanchez. This fight, nothing to talk about. This wasn't an interesting fight at all. I thought both the fighters looked, you know, Diego Sanchez, obviously, he looked pretty, he's, he hasn't looked good in... He hasn't looked good in like such a long time against decent competition. And Michelle Pereira, it's pretty obvious that like this guy cannot like fight in combination. And yeah, man, it was like it was Diego Sanchez came out of the fight doing like this fucking weird somersault front flip kick, which misses Pereira right off the bat, doesn't do anything. And then he spends the rest of the fight circling along the fence. And this stance, like a wushu stance with his hands, like his one, uh, oh my gosh, what is this fighter's name? I got to quickly look him up. Uh, he fought Tony Ferguson a long time ago, way back in the day. I did see this fight live. It was again, Katsunori Kukuno. If you remember that fight. Katsunori Kunkuno was the guy kind of with the Bushido stance where he would come out with his hands extended, uh, like his hands extended away from his face uh, near his chest. So Diego Sanchez was kind of doing the same thing where he had his one, his, he's southpaw, so he had his right arms extended and his left arm uh, near his face, like in a traditional martial arts kind of like wushu stance. And he kept, this, kept on circling the cage and Pereira just kept on... Pereira didn't do a great job of uh, cutting off the cage on him, but Pereira was just kicking him to the body. Step The one thing that Pereira does really, really well is when he steps in for those knees. He does a great job of checking both, uh, checking both hands, which is awesome because when you're stepping into range with a knee, you're up on one leg, and so you're off balance. So if you get hit, it's pretty easy to get knocked down. So a, good, like a nice thing to do is that you check both your opponent's hands, and this kind of gives you a signifier you start stepping in, if they start, your hands kind of give you a, like hit detection. If your punts, if you feel your punts start to throw hands back, you can bail on the, on the knee. Or you can bail on the knee 
yeah, by checking both hands, you can just uh, have this early hit detection. So if the opponent starts throwing back, your hands are able to detect that their hands are, you know, moving in position to throw a hook or straight or whatever, so you could bail on the knee. If you feel it's either that or the hands are going to stay in place or the hands are going to start, the opponent's hands are going to start dropping to their body to block the knee, and that just gives you a free hit. So Pereira was actually really good at throwing the, the stepping knees. He also had a good uh, f a long front kick to the body that kept on hitting, a uh, right front kick to the body that kept on hitting Diego. But again, Diego just circling the fence, not doing anything. Literally, his the th few times that he did throw punches were when he was doing those marching hooks, you know, left, right, left hook, right hook, left hook, right hook. And, you know, Diego Sanchez, ever since... When was, when was the when was since his fight with Clay Guida, which was I believe oh my god so long ago. Let's see here. Yeah, since two thousand nine, his fight with Clay Guida, his striking hasn't changed at all. It's always been the marching left right left right left right left right. It hasn't changed at all. And she's. He's been uh, he's been KO'd since his BJ pen fight. He's been stopped one. Oh no way! He has only been knocked out four times since his BJ pen fight. But you, he's obviously been in a lot of fights. He's been in a lot of wars. You know Sanchez when he comes into the fight, he doesn't always. You know he he's getting con constantly dropped in his fights. So I don't know why they keep on allowing him to fight. He's thirty eight years old. He's not a spring chicken anymore, and he just looks bad in all his fights and then Michelle Pereira ends up landing an illegal knee to Diego's head it splits open Diego's head and um, the ref comes over and he says yo you've been hitting the head I'm gonna give you some time and Diego Sanchez asks him if I uh, he the ref's like hey do you want to keep on fighting uh, or do you want to do you want to continue fighting and do you want to or do you want to stop the fight? Diego and the ref is just the way the way the ref is asking him about it is if is the ref is trying to make Diego continue with the fight because obviously the ref doesn't want the fight to stop. And there's a cut over Diego's left eye now. There's a it's like near the top of his forehead. It's a pretty decent sized cut. And Diego keeps on asking the ref, hey. What happens if I what happens if I stop fighting? What happens if I quit? And then eventually the ref says you'll win the fight. It's a it's a legal knee. And then right away Diego's like, oh yeah, I don't want to fight anymore. Like um, the the I can't see out of my left eye because of the blood. It's pretty funny because watching it, it's pretty obvious that Diego Sanchez. It's not the blood that's getting in his eyes because although it was bleeding, the blood wasn't leaking into his eyes as bad as I seen it leak into blood had leak into the eyes of fighters. But it's obvious that like he's just getting his ass kicked and he's in the third round. He hasn't won any of the rounds. He's gonna lose the decision. And I think Michelle Pereira missed weight for this fight if I'm not let me see. You see fight. No Michelle Pereira made weight. But Michelle per yeah anyways Diego Sanchez ends up um, he doesn't want to continue the fight anymore, and it's a DQ win for Diego Sanchez. And this, it's like, yeah, illegal knee. 
that's totally fine. He deserves the win because obviously if you perform an illegal technique, you should be disqualified. But at the same time, now that Diego Sanchez has another win under his record, people are going to be, people, Diego, like, I don't know, like the yes men or, and the Diego fan, Diego Sanchez fans, they're going to want him to keep on fighting when he should have retired like six years ago because he keeps on getting hurt and he keeps on getting hit. And if you like listen to this guy, you know, if you look at him, he's not in the great, he's not in the shape that he used to be. You know, he's like, he, he's not as fearless as he used to be. That was a big thing about Diego Sanchez back in the day is that he was ready to brawl with anybody. But now when he gets hit, he like, you know, a lot of times it's like those, he gets knocked down or it's like one of those flash knockouts where people get hit and they black out for like a split second and then they wake up and they're back in the fight type of deal. I just don't want to see Diego Sanchez fight anymore. Like, this is going to be, this is, uh, yeah, not, not a great result. I wish, it looked like he was like, you know, honestly, he he was probably going to get TKO'd there at the end of the fight before that illegal knee because he was, he was dropping. He dropped to the ground, then he got kneed in the head. But honestly, Diego Sanchez, hopefully he retires sometime soon, doesn't take another fight. But the other thing is that I know as soon as he retires, he's going to get picked up by like, be a, like bare knuckle fighting championships and then he's going to get killed there. So, yeah, man. Don't know how I feel about Diego Sanchez. Michelle Pereira, uh, I don't know. He, he, again, doesn't look, you know, a lot. He has so much hype coming into the UFC because he was all about like backflips and spinning shit. But he isn't that great of a fighter, to be honest. Because if, if you watch this fight, he's twice the size of Diego Sanchez. Doesn't take Diego down at all. And he's, he only ever throws... He's very rarely, until like the very end sequence, he didn't throw any punches in combination. And he was having a hard time of cutting off the cage on Diego, who was circling the cage doing nothing the whole time. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy fight world. Uh, what else did we have this weekend? We had Ryan Garcia versus Francisco Fonseca. Ryan Garcia on a tear, knocks out Francisco and like, it's like a minute and a half or something like that with a left hook. Savage, savage ass left hook that knocks out, and knocks out Francesco in a way that makes it look like he's dead. He literally, he's lying on the floor, eyes wide open, looking toward the ceiling, looking as if he's dead. Ryan Garcia, straight up beast, only 20 years old. Uh, I think the next fight that he's going to be going up against is Jorge Linares, who was on the card, right, was on the, who was fighting right before Ryan Garcia. Jorge Linares versus Carlos Morales. This was a really good fight. Linares is really, really fast. He's a fast-ass boxer. I really like him. One thing that he was doing that I really loved was the body jab to the right hand. Now, the body jab is one of my favorite techniques as... It's a fight, it's a, the thing about the body jab is that nobody wants, nobody thinks that they have to deal with the body jab until it's too late. Because it's not a punch that's going to knock anybody out. And even a lot of coaches, professional coaches these days say that you should just condition your abs to take the punch and not deal with it. Like the way that you're going to deal with it is by taking the punch. Even the toughest guys in the world, they end up dropping their hands to the body jab uh, though, because the body jab is just 
it's like a it's like somebody sticking a steel rod into your stomach every time you step in. Maybe it doesn't hurt the first time, but eventually it's gonna it's gonna get annoying. And then what he ends up he ended up dropping Carlos with what he'd do is that he'd body jab. Carlos would drop his hands to deal with it because he you know he's getting sick of it, and this means that his hands are near his face, which gives Linares time to drop the right hand. And that's how he ended up dropping Carlos like three or two times with the body jab to right hand. And then he ended up knocking out Carlos with the body jab to the right hand within, uh, in the fourth round or so. Now, I think at the post-fight interviews, Linares was saying that Oscar Del Hoya promised him a fight with Ryan Garcia if he did win. And I think this would be a crazy fight because Linares is legit. Like he's a, let me pull up his record here. Linares... Let's see here. He has 47 wins. 47 wins, 5 losses. And those losses were to Pablo Cesar Cano. He's fought Lemonchenko before. And then Sergio Thompson, Antonio DeMarco. So yeah, like he's been in the... He, he was in the ring with Vasil Lomachenko, which is crazy. And that fight, how did that go? He ended up getting TKO'd in that fight. Still, it's not like he, like, Lomachenko is probably like, the best boxer in the world right now. So, big ups to him. I think that'll be a really, really good fight because, yeah, Linares is like no pushover. He's not the, he's not the cream of the crop, the top level. He's not a top level boxer, but still very fast. And he's also very, very smart with his setups. So Ryan Garcia um, is going to be fighting. So hopefully we'll see Ryan Garcia. I think he said around like June or something like that against Jorge Linares. That'll be an awesome fight. Um, we'll see. Oh, regarding news, Billy Joe Saunders just got uh, Billy Joe Saunders versus Canelo Alvarez was just announced for May second. That's a sick ass fight. Billy Joe Saunders. He's a southpaw middleweight boxer. Very, very, uh, I really like him. Very, very fast, very technical boxer. And it's always interesting to see just how well people do against southpaws because southpaw always, always, sorry. Southpaws are always very, uh, you know, tricky to deal with. And yeah, Billy Joe Saunders, he's a, he's a really, really good fighter. He beat uh, Chris Eubank Jr. by split decision. He also beat uh, David Lemieux, the, or Lemieux, I can't say his last name, Lemieux, the Canadian uh, knockout artist by unanimous decision. He fought uh, Willie Monroe Jr. won by unanimous decision. So he's a very, very, he's a talented middleweight. Can't, uh, can't wait to see that fight. Alvarez, you know, Alvarez is also like one of the best boxers in the world right now. So it'll be interesting to see how he, uh, how this fight goes down. In other news, we'll say in the more local, in the more local scene, uh, one of my friends, Jesse Arnett, he is a MMA fighter. He's a bantamweight fighter. He uh, is ranked number one fighter in Canada outside of the major promotions. So USC, 1FC, and... Bellator, he's the ranked num he's ranked number one bantamweight and ranked number one pound for pound 
Canadian fighter outside of those promotions. And he just had a fight out in Halifax a couple weeks ago against Adam McDougal, um, McDougal, who's the number 13 bantamweight ranked outside of the promotions. And he won, which is awesome because, um, you know, that's always awesome to see one of your boys uh, catch a W. Very strong wrestling. Um, right off, the, He's a southpaw, and then right off the bat, just came out and uh, looked for the takedowns. He was getting the body lock a lot. Managed to drag McDougal down to the ground. McDougal, obviously more of a stand-up fighter than a uh, off-the-back type of fighter. He's throwing up triangles and arm bars as much as he could. But especially when you're... Uh, a lot of the a lot of that happened along the fence, and especially when you're cramped up against the fence, it's very hard to extend your hips and get the space that you need to finish those type of techniques like triangles and arm bars. It's very easy to just get stacked up against the fence and not have the leverage that you need. And then uh, what ends up happening is that Jesse Arnett in the third round takes him down again. They roll to like a, almost like a turtle position, uh, and Jesse ends up grabbing the rear naked choke slash bulldog choke on McDoodle, McDougal and taps him out. So really big win for a uh, Canadian fighter and teammate. Congrats to you, Jesse Arnett. You're a monster. You're a legend. Good job, bro. Also happening more local news is um, the Muay Thai World Cup that's being held here in Calgary. It's hosted, uh, so the Muay Thai World Cup is a new promotion that's hosted by Kieran Kettle. He's a Calgary kickboxing coach here in uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. They had an event in November, which was awesome. And uh, I really like this because, you know, I'm always about like supporting local talent and I love local talent. I want Calgary to be a really big name in the MMA scene and the combat sports scene so we can attract even more talented people to come here because... You know, the more talented individuals that come along to Calgary, the better training partners I get. And that allows me to, you know, that helps me out in my training overall. And yeah, it's really, uh, uh, they're setting up another event, April 11th, and I'll talk about it more when we get closer to that event. But you have great, great, great talent fighting on the card. A lot of local talent. Uh, one of my boys, Johnson Garzon, the Don, He's going to be fighting on the. He's going to be fighting on that card, and he's an amateur kickboxer. Uh, and I honestly think that he's like the best amateur kickboxer. At, I think he fights. He fights at. I think he fights usually at 118 pounds, but I'm just going to chop it up and say any kickboxer 125 pounds and under. I think he's the best in Canada. Also on the card is Scott McKenzie, and Scott McKenzie. If you don't know, he is. <clears throat> yeah, awesome. So Scott McKenzie, he fights at super middleweight, which is 168 pounds. And uh, the cool thing is that the Muay Thai World Cup, they actually got the w WBC, uh, I believe is the WBC belt that was on the line. And Scott McKenzie won his last fight. And if you look at the rankings at super middleweight, Scott McKenzie is ranked 19 out of 20. When it, uh, when it comes to middleweight kickboxers, which is fucking awesome. So you actually have a top, like a top 20 in the whole world fighting on a local Calgary card, which is awesome. That's so sick. Like, I love, I love seeing that type of stuff. There's also, uh, Lee Main is also fighting on that card. And if you don't know Lee Main, you might know his son, Jordan Main, who is a, who is a former UFC fighter. 
fought people like Thiago Alves, was, who is now fighting in Bellator, his father, Lee Main, will be on the card. So it's April 11th. You should, if you're in Calgary or you're near the Calgary area or you're, you're going to be in Calgary that year or around April 11th this year, you should definitely check it out. Such an amazing event. They put on such a great show. What else do we have? So that basically covers the news and the events that happened over the weekends. Uh, next week, we have UFC Fight Night 168 at the, in New Zealand, headlined by Paul Felder versus Dan Hooker, which is an awesome, awesome fight. Love Paul Felder. Love Dan Hooker. Really like Dan Hooker in particular because he's really, really smart, uh, smart, smart striker. Paul Felder, kind of, he's also a great, he's a pretty good striker. Uh, really good with elbows and knees. He, uh, and I can't wait to see that fight. We have Jimmy Crew on the card as well versus uh, Polish fighter Michał Ole Oleksiechuk. I think that's how you say his name. Karolina Kowalkiewicz versus Jan Zamnau. Kowalkiewicz, you know, she's, she fought for the title one time. You know, she's not that great of a fighter, but she's Polish. You know, I got to give her my support. Kevin Ugolar versus Zubaro Tuhukov. So one of... Uh, Khabib's boys fighting on this card, which is awesome. Jake Matthews versus Emil Meek, which should be a decent scrap. And Angela Hill is fighting on this card. You just saw her fight uh, a few cards ago, like two or three weeks ago. Now she's on another card. What a monster. She's a beast. And she's fighting some girl named Loma Lukbunmi. So it looks like Angela, probably Angela Hill is probably like a late replacement or something like that. Because the girl that she's fighting, Angela Hill is like 11-7. And, and the girl that she's fighting is 4-1. So looks like it's going to be a... Easy matchup for Angela Hill, but yep, that's the UFC Fight Night card next week. Isn't like the best card, but decent enough for a Fight Night card. Uh, I'll probably do a breakdown after watching that. If there's anything on that card that excites me, I will definitely talk about it. Also, next week, this week, big big fight: Fury versus Wilder. Two is happening. If you remember the last time they fought, Wilder and Fury went at it. Well, uh. Basically, that fight was just Fury boxing circles, dancing circles around uh, Wilder the whole match. And then Wilder ended up knocking Fury down two times. There's a little bit of controversy because a lot of people felt like one of the knockdowns, Fury got a long 10 count. But at the same time, you know, Fury obviously won. Even though last round that Fury got knocked down in, he got up and he started boxing. And he, I feel like he should have, like, stood, that round stood of it's been a tie because when you when you do a 10-8 round, usually what happens is when you get knocked down in boxing, the person who got who gets the knockdown, it's a 10-8 round for them. But the way that Fury boxed up while they're at the end of that round, it should have been like a 9-8 or something like that. Because I felt like overall Wilder lost the round, but Fury got knocked down. And in the end, I had Fury, it was like I had Fury up like 11 the 11 to 1 round against Wilder, but it ended up being a draw, which is ridiculous. So a lot of controversy. It was a great first match. The first match was awesome seeing those two go at it, and I hope that it's just as good as the first one, but with a little bit less controversy. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. That was the podcast episode for uh, this week, episode three. I'm going to try to be a little bit more consistent, but I can't make any promises. But hopefully I'm going to be getting a new episode out next week after the Fury fight, the Fury Wilder fight. You can find this podcast on a bunch of different websites. 
you can go to and basically anywhere that you get your uh, RSS feeds from, anywhere you listen to your podcast, you can go to anchor.fm. You can find me on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Spotify. You can Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Beaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public. You can find me on Stitcher as well. Uh, you can find me on SoundCloud. You can find me on all these different uh, platforms and YouTube as well. So if you're watching this on YouTube, please leave a like, subscribe, and a comment. And if you're listening to this on one of my podcast feeds, please leave a review. It really does help with the discoverability of this podcast. It really helps me out in the end. It takes about one minute to do the review. So thank you again. Really do appreciate it. Uh, you can follow me on all my social media uh, platforms, which is YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and Snapchat. You can find that all in the description below. You can find me at one of those social media platforms. And that's about it. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you guys have a great, wonderful weekend. Hope you guys enjoy the fights. Peace.